Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1385, with guest Rob Connery, recorded Monday, November 28th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, I'm really excited because Rob Connery's back on the show. We're going to have him jump in in just a few minutes. And uh, well, what can I say? It's almost freezing here. Um, yeah, just about the winter times, huh? Winter times is happening. We, you know, we, we're at the point where we're no longer making fires on the back porch in the fire pit. It's just nice. too cold. 45 consecutive days of rain. Yeah, well, at least we didn't have that. <laughs> i'm getting up early going out on the porch watching the sunrise nice it's been nice no even my dog's depressed now why because it's been gray and rainy every day for almost two months wow he just wants to go for walkies huh he, he'll walk in the rain he doesn't mind but no. the, the gray skies get to him he's, yeah. he's basically a waterproof dog but oh, well. him. you know so is that why you're surly <laughs> oh, I'm surly for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> it's not the weather. That's not just the weather. No, nope, not just the weather. During the last show we recorded, Richard's machine blue screened. Yes. And, and the expletives that came out of his mouth were not polite Canadian. No, no, I no. Not a, I only play a polite Canadian on a podcast. <laughs> and when, the re- when the recorder gives up on me like that, machine is toast. I just stuck a <laughs> screwdriver through that motherboard. It's done. It, it that's it. We will so exercise good. those demons. And it feels so good. How you damn right. All right. Well, I got something. Interesting and fun, and with a little research behind it for Better Know Framework. So, roll the music. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? And by research, I mean, well, I, I saw this one thing of a kind, and I went to try other ones and came back to this one as, yeah, this is probably the best one I could find. Hmm. So, this is Cyfe, C-Y-F-E dot Cyfe. com. And this is an all-in-one business dashboard app that is from da- dashboarding, monitoring business data from one place. It's not really, really thorough, but it has enough at the free level hmm. to pique my interest. So you can at least just get it going right you away. You can at least get it going right away, and uh, and and it's free to start. And of course, like most things, the free level is is okay, and uh, it it did the job. And, yep, uh, there's a big button there that says go premium. So yep. there's a premium product. They do want you want to it. go premium, but I did like the user interface. The problem I had with a lot of these other dashboards, and I believe me, I tried like four or five of them. 
based on recommendations of, you know, Dr. Google right. and Bing, uh, is that the UI just is bad. The user interface is just, you know, I'm, I'm jaded. You know, once you see Mark Miller's great yeah, sites, a great yeah, UI That'll thing, ruin anybody. It ruins you. And, you know, it, just plus buttons all over the place that there's no help when you hover over them. You don't know what you're adding, but you know that that plus button is there and here's another one over here and here's another one there. And they don't really, you don't know what they're doing until you've added something that you can't remove. Right. By the way, just terrible, terrible user interface in general yeah. across the board. But I found that Scythe was pretty good and it was pretty clean and easy to understand. And it's sure. in the cloud. It's on in a browser. So it's still there when I, come log in from another place. Well, and just looking at these pre-built widgets here, like I should be putting one of these together for Run As Radio because I'm using Constant Contact and Google Analytics and Twitter and, you know, just be able to put all that stuff into one view. Yep. It's pretty That's good. Interesting. It is good. pretty Nice pr find, dude. Pretty cool. Like and, and I hope uh, people use it. And if they have issues or whatever, just let us know. You know, we're, uh, we're, I'm just shining a light. And the and the premium product, by the way, $19 a month. Yeah, right? it's not bad. That's hard to be too upset about. Yep. It's interesting. All right. Okay, cool. That's what I got, Richard. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off a show 1,200, which if you're counting was almost 200 shows ago. Good Lord. Was it October really? October of 2015, a uh, show we did with one Rob Connery that when he was first really excited about Elixir, and so we grabbed a show. Yeah. We did another one with him later. Right. But, uh, that, that first show, episode 1,200. And, and, I, and I noticed in the comments here, which people say, hey, by the way, show 1,200, well done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of forget. We take it that for granted here. I mean, 1,400 staring us in the face now. But uh, right. yeah. And this comment comes from David Glass, who says, great discussion on the benefits of being a polyglot, which yeah, I guess we all kind of are these days. Sure right? are, yeah. Yeah. But I would like you to take it a step further and suggest that anyone who is a modern developer is already a polyglot. Yeah, if you do JavaScript and C Sharp, you're a polyglot. There you go. A little SQL Server, that kind of thing. SQL you know? Server, yeah. Did you consider, this is what he says, do you consider yourself a monolinguist web developer at C Sharp MVC? That's impossible. Because hmm. uh, you need to know JavaScript, jQuery, Razor, Link, SQL, or how about JSON and XML? Mm -hmm. Not really languages, but okay. Yeah. Uh, the days of sitting in your silo typing away in a single language are long gone, and we're all better for it. We sure are. You yeah, certainly are. I think I agree with you. And yeah. so let me make your day better with a .NET Rocks mug. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We watch him on our Scythe dashboard, I think. Nice. We do now, anyway. <laughs> we will soon. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's introduce Rob. Rob Connery is a guy who helps developers of all sorts learn what's new with technology. He's been working in the technology field full-time since 1998, first as a DBA and then a web developer. Rob's original focus was the Microsoft ASP.NET stack, building tools like Subsonic and the first micro ORM, Massive. Currently, he's working on Massive.js, which is a dedicated Postgres data access tool for Node. He ported this to Elixir and named it Mobius. Nice. <laughs> well, because you don't know where one thing begins and another ends, right? Exactly right. While not writing data access libraries, Rob likes to write books. He just finished The Imposter's Handbook which is a compendium of skills and concepts that you need to know as an imposter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> as a, <laughs> yeah, a, a self-taught programmer, of course. I took 
artistic liberty with the bio. Rob recently founded Big Machine, where he plans to keep writing and selling his books and videos. Welcome back, Rob. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, guys. I can't believe you still write books. Yeah, who does that? Yeah. It's fun. It's okay. really fun. Okay. The, this is Stockholm yeah. Syndrome right here. That's what this is. <laughs> now, you self-publish, right? Yes. And that's, that's, cool. that's different, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was recommended to me by a couple of people. Hey, you should try writing a small book. And I said, well, I've done it before and I hated it, hmm. but I'll try it. And it's been wonderful. It's been a really, really good experience, hmm. I have to say. Yeah. So, uh, as somebody who has written books and mm -hmm. uh, has watched the publishing industry sort of curdle into something unrecognizable, uh, mm -hmm. I, I understand the you know, the impetus to go self-publishing. But I guess a lot of your success depends on the breadth of your available market network, right? Yeah. So, that is something I learned writing this book that hand in hand with writing is marketing. And right. what you need to do is you, you can, they, they, they complement each other. And so one strategy that is really working effectively for people is to write the book in the open. And oh, yeah. that means either write it for free online, which is what Michael Hartle is doing with the Rails tutorial or has done, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John Simons is doing this as well. He's writing a free book. You keep it for free online, and that drives the traffic. You build the market, and then you say, if you want to support me and buy the book, here's the EPUB version, and I'll charge you for it. And then on top of that, you also have paper versions, right? You have paper versions, then you can do an audiobook, which is what I'm recording right now in my little hmm. studio here that I have at home that I just made. Uh, and then you could do some video clips as well and charge on top of that. It's actually a wonderful market, and it's just so nice to get away from the traditional publishers. I just, I have to tell you, it's wonderful. <laughs> so, the, it turns out the only thing wrong with books was the publishers? I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about what a publisher's job was... It was publicity mm -hmm. and sales, and that's, that's right. really the truth. And, and because of the internet, that has completely flipped on its head. Yeah. And the fact yeah, exactly. that their big bookstores have all but disappeared. Exactly right. Yeah. I, I'm going to sell to libraries. That's uh... <laughs> 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 No, you know what's really interesting is that it's kind of, uh, how should we say, it's, it doesn't really make sense on the on the face of it that you put out something for free. But really what you're doing is you're appealing to a certain type of uh, aesthetic about, 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 you know, what a book is and what information is. The people who are going to follow you as you're writing aren't the same people that are going to pick up a book in a store, uh, you know, or just have something to read when they go away on vacation or um, pick up an ebook mm -hmm. and read it on the plane. These aren't the same people, are they? No, not at all. Um, and I didn't, you know, I, I got to be completely honest. I did not follow that advice. I didn't write this book for free in the open, I, but I did write it in the open. Um, and people were so happy to jump in and help. And I was, That's a, really I was stunned. What, yeah, was, what I, was the tool that you used to write it uh, online? Oh, man. <laughs> and do you, have to, does it, do you have to have a dedicated tool or you just use Google Docs and invite people? Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Uh, that is a rat's nest. Oh I'll boy. tell you what. I'm. I, I will get to that in just a second. Okay. But I will say <laughs> that. Yeah. What I did do was um, I just did pre-sales of EPUB versions and PDFs, and people bought it. But I also had a GitHub repo open with a sample code and just for feedback. 
And I fielded, I think, a couple hundred issues of people just saying, no, this is not the way <laughs> Dijkstra's algorithm works. This wow. is not the way. So, yeah. And they were super kind. In fact, I got, I felt like this guy, he was a Slashdot user and he came on to correct me about some Linux stuff I wrote. And he said, I don't want to be too abrasive as my community is known to be, you know, so please accept this with my, <laughs> with a smile. And he said, but you need to burn this chapter to the ground. <laughs> wow. Nice. And it was great. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> it was, yeah. But the way he offered the feedback was so, I don't know, it made me smile. And a lot of people were so gracious and generous with their time. And so anyway. But I'm really interested I, in, in GitHub yeah. for, for publishing a, a yeah. book as, as it's being written. You found that people subscribed to your repo and they knew enough about mm -hmm. GitHub to, and what were they, just text files organized in chapters? No. Well, so originally when I published the book, um, the first thing I used was this thing called Gitbook, um, which ah, is a website. Now we're getting somewhere. Yes. Gitbook.com. You write in Markdown yep. and you can use their site if you want to self-publish and they'll actually help you sell it as well. Uh, so oh. I used it. You, it's actually local. It's a local thing that you use. So you, you don't need to pay for it. But if you use their hosted service, you do. And then um, it's $7 a month um, if you want to go private. Otherwise, it's free. So I could have kept it up there and it's great for these interactive things. People can leave comments right on your book and it's a great way to do it on the open. However, that defeats the marketing angle. Sure. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You got to, you got to build that mailing list. That's one of the key aspects of writing. Right. So what I did is I just downloaded, you know, get book, used it locally mm -hmm. and then generated the PDF and EPUB from it and then just kind of put it out online. So did when you put it out online did you did you put it in GitHub or did you have your own website that people could come to or how did you do that? I had my own website and I used a distribution service called Gumroad um <laughs> and they were they were okay. I love uh, these I names. In, yeah, I know this yeah, is I awesome. Know. I got in a bit of a fight with them as I tend to do. Service I see there's a rule that I have and I swear I said it once and it's plagued me ever since and it's if you use software as a service uh it is just a matter of time until they let you down. And that yeah. is, that is, that is held true for me in every single thing I've ever done. And by let you down, so, they come knocking with more fees than you're, that, you know, once more you're fees, locked in. Or like they'll, they'll just change their terms of service. They'll say, oh, this is no longer available. Something happens, right? And so that happened with Gumroad, um, where they said, oh, by the way, you have a monthly fee that you didn't know about. And I was like, oh, great. And it's one of those things that, I just couldn't get out of, and it was going to cost me up to $500 a month. And then anyway. Oh, that sucks. Oh, I know. I know. So I started selling through them. And so what they would do though, they had a good service. They would, they would distribute the file for me. So anytime I updated the book file, it would send out an email notice to all my readers and say the file's been updated and they'd read it. But if you have MailChimp or another service like that, you could certainly manage a mailing list. That doesn't seem too difficult. No. And so that's, see, that's the other thing. Um, I, I was able to integrate a service I use called Drip at yep. getdrip.com. And so that <laughs> I... Sorry. They, this never ends. No. You know I'm, what? I'm, I'm writing them all down. Gumroad, GetDrip, GetBook. You know, get, GetDrip, uh, John Sonmiz turned me on to GetDrip. And I have never seen a mail service like this in my life. It is absolutely extraordinary. I pay them a lot of money and I gladly do it because they have not let me down yet. And I don't think they will. It is just a wonderful service. You can automate it in so many different ways. It is just, it's just great. It really is. And it's light years better than MailChimp in my mind. 
So is this drip email? GitHub.com slash ninja slash drip dot git? It's drip.co. The best marketing automation platform, hands down. Yes. Um, I mean, you should give this thing a spin. It is, well, oh my gosh. For instance, just to give you some ideas, um, one of the things that they they do is they specialize in um, email courses, if you will. Uh, So you can set up these automations that when people are subscribed or subscribe themselves, it will send out these emails on a timer. Uh, so it'll wait for a week and then send out another one. Uh, you could have all these automations that do certain things. Um, one of the things they recommend for people like me who are authors is when people buy your book, you start them on an automation so that once a week they get an email that, that gives them some kind of behind the scenes or insight into the book hmm. from you as the author. Hmm. The idea behind that is it engages them because a lot of times people will start reading something and then get distracted, move on. But you as the author want them to finish that book. Sure. So you kind of send them these emails to pull them through it. And nice. at the very end, you you know, you know say, well, if you've, if you've enjoyed this to reach the end, here's a discount to, to give to your friends. Wow. Um, on top of that, it's got a bunch of CRM tools in there uh, for, for managing, like tagging users. You know what they bought, when they bought it, just a ton of stuff. So this is where I manage everything. Wow. It's, it's great for in terms of users. All right. Hey, yeah. that means a lot coming from you. Pretty cool. Oh my God, really? It's how much uh, they I mean, pay you for that little spot right there? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely nothing. Absolutely no, of nothing. Cor- of course, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I- I'm the first to recommend tools that work for me. Yep. Uh, pay or no pay. Exactly. Really, really interesting. Should yeah. we actually talk about the book? Yeah, let's talk about oh, the sure, content. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Imposter syndrome, I first heard about on Hansel Minutes, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. That was uh, a very popular show that Scott did, well, a few years now. Maybe three or four years ago, Richard? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So, I guess before we get into how to avoid imposter syndrome, maybe we should uh, give the test to somebody to tell if they're really an imposter. How do you know? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? It's like, it's like what test do you give an insane person? <laughs> with a, <laughs> You know, an insane person would never ask the question. Yeah. You know, they don't, and, and they don't even think that they're insane. I mean, is this, is this essentially self-identifying? Well, what are some signs that you, you think you're an imposter, but you're not? What are some signs to put you into that category? Just thinking it, just the, the, the belief that you haven't done something. You have, like, if you do something that provides value to somebody, and then you right. shrug that value off, it doesn't have to be in programming, it can be in anything. Sure. I think it's, um, I don't know if it's an American thing or, you know, I just know that that's how you're brought up. You know, at least I was that, you know, you don't ever take in what, when someone gives you a compliment, you always kind of deflect and say, well, you know, I do, I, I, I do what's called for, whatever. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify Prefix, an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers. It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements, and best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, free like beer. Download it now at prefix.netrocks.com. Richard and I have talked about this a lot in the past, and, you know, as 
people who do a lot of things and some things come easier to us than to other people, we mm -hmm. tend to devalue those things just because they come easy to us. Right. And uh, they come easy to us because we thoroughly understand them, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so just because there wasn't much effort involved in solving a problem doesn't mean the problem wasn't solved. And I'll give exactly. you an example of this. Um, in my other podcast, which is actually growing pretty rapidly now about the ketogenic diet. Yeah. I've basically helped a lot of people by sharing a lot of information and all, mm -hmm. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a nutritionist, but I've done a lot of research and I've figured out what's real and what isn't for the most part. And I'm always asking the question, is this real? Is this not? And filtering things. So I built up a sort of a, a wealth of knowledge and somebody asked me, Hey, I want to start a group in my own community, but I'm not an expert. All mm -hmm. I know is what I've learned from you guys. And, you know, mm -hmm. how can I do that? And I said, well, you know, just by pointing out the research and by pointing out the things that you know, you're helping people. You That's don't, right. You don't have to get up there and claim to have all the answers to everything. You can say, I'm just a guy who fixed myself with some information. Here's the information that I used. Here's what worked for me. And here's some research that I found. And go do your own thing. Absolutely. And there's so much value there. And I, I've said this to so many people that sometimes the last person you want to talk to about any given subject is an expert mm. uh, because they will know so much. And then often they will develop these really strong opinions on things and be really inflexible. Right. Not all the time. No, uh, it's there's true. Some, yeah. There's some amazing people out there, of course. But if you can, if you can very carefully walk the line uh, between telling someone, hey, this is what I found, uh, and not going too far, which is, you should do this. Right. If you can walk that line, yep. it's incredibly valuable, as long as they know. And it's funny, because I actually start the book with this exact uh, quote. Uh, it's from Jeff Atwood's post about being uh, about NP completeness. And he got hammered for it. And he he made a statement on there about, you know, you don't, you, um, no one knows what NP complete actually means, but you'll know it when you see it. Right. Which is, which is just, you know, I could, I could understand what he's going for. Sure. But at the same time, it was the wrong thing to say. And he says things very assuredly, but he'll be the right. first to tell you that it's just a strong opinion weekly held, mm. which whatever that means. Um, I think if you, if you can step back from that and say, like, I was investigating NP complete approximations and here's what we can, here's what we can learn from them. That's, that's different than, Hey, you know, there, it's just a fancy term for very complicated. Eh, it's not actually. <laughs> and so he yeah. got hammered for that. And, and so anyway, the point is there's a lot of value in, in just f trying to find something out, which is what this book is, believe it or not. It's just me trying to find stuff out in the open. You talk and about I, experts. And I find that what, if you're one of these type of people who likes to establish guidelines, you know, establish yeah. rules and guidelines and then never vary from them. That is the antithesis of science right there. That's exactly it. Yeah. And it's funny, um, Richard, cause you, you said, how would you know, or was that you, Carl? I, I forgot. When you asked, how do you know if you're an imposter? Yeah. Well, you know, if you don't ever ask yourself mm. right there, you know, right. if you don't ever say, gosh, do I really know what I'm talking about? You probably are. Cause you find a lot of people compensate, mm. uh, for, I don't know what, you know, for a lot of things by this is me and I know everything. And if you don't agree with me, you know, go away. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I, the problem is, I think that they, that like I said, most imposters are self-identified. And yeah. even when people challenge you on it, it's like, I'm pretty sure you're actually an expert. I certainly count on you as an expert. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You know, the, the folks that really are imposters, they generally will resist every at every step of the way. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because a good scientific dialogue involves challenge. And it involves both people willing to take and also give a challenge. And I love that. I love a good, strong dialogue, you know, mm. two people. But invariably, I get myself in these arguments all the time where I, I, mm-hmm. say, I hear what you're saying. I think you're saying this. Am I right? Yes. Well, here's what I think about that. Well, you're such a jerk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the thing I always get in trouble for online and everywhere else is asking questions. And I always say that, you know, if you get angry about me asking questions, it's not my problem. It yeah. really is not. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. True. So uh, I guess then a lot of your book focuses on uh, how to overcome these feelings and be yes. more confident. Yeah. And so I focus on two things. The first is, uh, educate yourself. It's always a good way. If you're feeling insecure and you read something and you don't know how something works, read about it. You know, go dive deeper. And for a lot of people, they just don't have the time. And I never had the time. The second thing is they call this writing therapy, which is really interesting that if you feel like an imposter, that you, you have this, let's say, a really successful open source project or something, and you think, oh my God, I fooled all these people, write down your achievements. Like, you know, yep. 3,000 people have downloaded like you literally have to write that down. 3,000 yep. people have downloaded and are using my project. Right. And the act of writing it down is Gives you perspective. And it makes you kind of see in a different way. There's something about the writing process. So uh, that's actually why I wrote the book. <laughs> so this is purely <laughs> therapy for you. We just expect us to pay money for your therapy. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> nice. See, yeah. isn't that how they do it in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> we don't need therapy up here. We're not Americans. That's <laughs> true. Oh, you need a different kind of therapy, actually, my friend. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to announce a new therapy for the common cold. Oh. Spit drip. Uh, uh. <laughs> I don't think you need to describe that at all. That's, I think we know fine. exactly what that is. I think I know exactly what it is. <laughs> all right. It's actually time to give away a de-experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Thomas Weldon. Congratulations, Thomas. Yeah. I'll clap for you, sir. I'll clap for Thomas. And Thomas just won the DevExpress D Experience subscription. A big pile of awesome from our friends over there at Developer Express. And if you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And guess what? Today's not the day. (laughs) (laughs) The day we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But it's coming up here soon. You're just going to have to keep listening for it. Any day now. 
And uh, if you haven't signed up for the fan club, this would be a good time. Yeah. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, of course, Rob, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know what I would buy? This is crazy. Does it have to be technology? No. For you, no. <laughs> I would buy a nice suit. And I'd buy a nice huh. suit with a nice tie. And the next conference I go to, I'd wear that suit. Uh, because I believe that people should look a little nicer when they present things. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. A $5,000 <laughs> suit. Hey, is man, it, you got to roll with the rollers, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> is it made generally out of- speaking, when you talk about bespoke suits, because, you know, my wife's in the business, right? Okay. Mm. So, so generally speaking, when you talk about a bespoke suit, it's in the they're in the two grand range. Like, mm-hmm. to get to five grand means serious fabrics, right? Camel- okay, how about... Camel two hair. suits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe two suits, right? But no, yeah. you know. Um, let me put it this way. Be, and it, one would argue the best, there's two places really to get custom fit suits, right? Well, three, depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. Seville Row, London. Mm-hmm. All over the place in flipping Italy. and mm-hmm. uh, oh, But really Milan. And then Hong mm-hmm. Kong. You know, yeah, Rob, I, agree with that. I could see you in one of those David Byrne oversized suits that's like three times as wide on the nice. shoulders. <laughs> no, don't make me start singing. Well, you know where I got that from? My, my friend Jeffrey Grossenbach decided to wear a suit to the Rails conference. This is uh, about five years ago, I guess. Ah. And uh, got a lot of weird looks, but then slowly but surely, a couple of other people followed suit. Ha ha. Ha ha. Yeah. And then Gary Bernhardt is another friend of mine, uh, was at a conference and he started, he wore a tie and he looked great. And I thought, you know what? I love that. It's respecting the audience so much. And so uh, when I was at Ordev, when I was in Copenhagen, just before the conference, I went shopping, bought myself a vest and a tie, some nice pants. And that's what I wore. And people, you know, it's funny because people looked at me and said, God, you look nice. And I said, well, you know, I think it's respecting the audience. Yeah, it is. You dress up for other people, not for yourself. And spoken from the guy who wears a t-shirt every day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Someday I'll get, I'll get into a suit that I like. Uh, Yes, you will. You know, I, I did, I do remember being at a conference where it was a developer conference. And so everybody's in polo shirts. And this one guy from, I think, uh, PC Magazine back in the day got up and said, you know, hi, my name's so-and-so. I'm the guy with the tie. That's T-I-E. <laughs> That's good. You know. Love but it. I appreciate that, Rob. No, it's a great thought, Rob. I, 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 I agree. So, yeah. you educate yourself. That's step one. Step two. Mm-hmm. What's step two? Uh, well, you write things down. You write your achievements down. Write your achievements. Um, the, How about goals? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think... That's a good question. I started I started this process trying to answer a question. If can you quantify how hard something is? You know, and hmm. a lot of people so in other words, your boss comes to you and says we need this routine created that does x y and z. How hard hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. Well, real hard, sort of hard, I don't know. Like how would you answer that? Well, wouldn't it be fun if there was a way that you could not only quantify in a in a quantifiable way but then also demonstrate it. Like I know this is going to be this hard because this algorithm over here is this hard yeah. to solve, and and that's what I wanted. I wanted to know that. Like, how do you even do that? So I started with big O notation. What does that even mean? And I mm. I, I know that now. Uh, and then got into complexity theory, and then dove into algorithms. 
So as I came to the end of writing the book, I just I felt like my mind sort of exploded, and I'm I'm there now where I can I can say, well, I think this is a decision problem. Sounds like it's you know combinatorial optimization, which is pretty hard to do. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. and you can quantify that. You can say this is a NP-complete kind of thing, but I think we can do it if we have this much parallel processing that we can throw at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, now you're talking about real computing science, right? Where yeah. part of this is the is the engineering mindset to be able to estimate a problem. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons that our our industry kind of goes south sometimes is you know, a lot of money is thrown at these things that are rehashes of things that have failed. Why right. did they fail? Well, because it was too hard. And people think, well, we got really strong, better computers now, and we have MapReduce. <laughs> we yeah. have Hadoop. You know, we should be able to do all this. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Just because you're doing that in parallel is not going to actually help the problem. Well, in, well the question is, do you understand the problem spaces where parallelism would help? Right. Like right. The, the, you, you do have to decompose problems or at least recognize the patterns within problems enough to know what the constraint actually will be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of the neat things that I actually was, uh, that I found out was when I was researching the book, uh, writing the chapter on algorithms was dynamic programming. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I laughed about that. Like, why are they going to talk about Ruby? <laughs> nice. You know, and how did they know about Ruby back in the 50s? And of course, that's not what it is. Um, but uh, mathematician Richard Bellman wrote about dynamic programming and he called it that i love this story he called it that because um gosh do you, richard of course you know where he was working was it xerox no, where, where was remember. he working? it was one of the original was, programming places, yeah. right yeah well, it might even it might have been the army i don't know he worked for some massive bureaucratic thing and they didn't want him to to study theory so he said, okay, well, I'll call it dynamic programming because it's got the sense of motion to it. <laughs> right. And all it is is a process for figuring out hard hard uh, algorithms. Like, how do I actually solve this algorithm? And it's a process by, for doing that. And I read about this and I thought, why don't we do this more? Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to, to look at the things in the past that are sort of lost now. And then people kind of think, well, I don't know, what, what, what do I do? It's yeah. like asking a Linux developer or a Linux person, you know, what does ETC mean? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, and you ask, you, when they'll give you an answer, you go to the next one, and they'll give you a different answer, and then, and then people can't remember because these things are lost in time, you know. And, and, uh, and that was lost on all the .NET listeners out there who don't know Linux. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> what about is that. ETC actually? <laughs> configuration is just where configuration things okay. go, and that's it. All right. Yeah, yeah but it, it's. I think part of the challenge here is we it's very easy for us to believe with our new tools and our new hardware that we're solving new problems. Mm -hmm. and, and there are very smart people who have worked on these computing problems for a long time who saw these issues, the same ones we're still dealing with. And certainly yeah. Bellman's one of those people. And it, you know, yep. it would, you serve your industry and your career well to just have an awareness of all mm -hmm. the thinking that's already gone on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I was talking about this with my brother. Uh, he's a professor at U of O, or University of Oregon here. So the in successful Eugene. one of the family. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, but he, unfortunately for me, he happens to be a professor in computer science. So when uh, I ask him these questions, he, awesome. he just sighs. He looks at me. He says, "Oh man, God, really? We're gonna? Okay, no, you're wrong. And here's what we're doing." Like, ah! But anyway, I was talking about dynamic programming, and it occurred to me I should probably define that a little bit more. What it is? This mm. is great. You have a target problem. You have a target algorithm you're trying to solve. 
And to solve it, you break it into smaller problems. These are, they're called subproblems. And then you recurse through these subproblems. And then, you know, if you recurse through all the subproblems, the idea is that you will then solve the large problem. And then uh, to speed things up, you use what's called memoization, which is today what we call caching. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I probably lost a lot of people out there. But if you think about Fibonacci, um, in calculating Fibonacci numbers, there's two ways to do it. Uh, the first way is to recursively call the same Fibonacci uh, function over and over and over again, which is a really explosively bad way of doing it. It doesn't right. scale very well. But by using recursion like that, you're actually dividing the big problem into smaller problems, and it works well. But if you cache the solution, if you cache the solution to all the smaller problems, you'll actually make everything much, 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 much faster. That mm -hmm. process alone, I think everybody needs to go through just to see it once and think, whoa. Because what that is, is dynamic programming. This mm. is what I've done. Mm, so right. anyway, in the converse, conversation with my brother, I was trying to figure out, how could I do some analytics here? I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a query uh, where I can look at one product over, let's say you have 100 products in your, in your sales database, right? I want to see what other product has sold the most with this one. That's a really hard query to do. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, you, you give it to a database person, they'll probably go, well, I could do a self-joining thing where I do it in it. <laughs> and they'll start solving it with SQL, which is fine. But it turns out you can actually use uh, dynamic programming to solve this by thinking in terms of a graph and relationships and edge weights and things like that. And then just take the biggest edge weight on the graph uh, between two nodes. And so I know this now <laughs> because I went into dynamic programming and I can, I can say that this is what Richard Bellman was conceiving of when he wrote this paper 50 plus years ago or 60 mm. years ago now. It's just crazy. They mm. figured this stuff out before. Yes. Right. So anyway, I guess that, that long screed is, is, is done. Well, in there. A, in the, but it does speak to this sort of problem that we have now, which is all of the stuff that people assume that everyone knows. And that mm -hmm. speaks to imposter syndrome because, because something has come easy to us, we assume that everybody knows it. And this is something that Richard mm -hmm. and I talk about all the time, don't we, buddy? Mm-hmm. Well, just forgetting what you've learned, right? And the effort that you went to it. Yeah. Right. And we, we assume that everybody knows what we know. And therefore, if there's something that we learned last year, we assume that everybody knows it by now. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. <laughs> And the person you're talking to, if they feel like an imposter too, they won't say they don't know it, <laughs> you know? Right, right. right. And yeah. so, the, you know, the whole practice of asking questions becomes very important. Exactly. Well, and, and you just being willing to be wrong, yeah. right? to be to, to explore these ideas in one form or yeah. another. Yeah. Uh, and not, not be that stressed about it. It, it does need to be right. learned. And the fact that you want to learn it is a good thing. Yep. I was just reading a book uh, by Dexter Palmer called Version Control. Have you heard of this book? No. Oh, you have to read it. It is extraordinary. Uh, he's one of these authors like Neil Stevenson where he takes his time winding through a plot. Uh, this is actually it's, a novel? It's a novel called Version Control. Hmm. Uh, it's just, it's spectacular. Anyway, uh, there's a physicist who's one of the main characters and, and he goes off on this big thing about we've lost... We've lost the notion of, of being wrong in science. We've lost the focus on being wrong. Like being wrong is good. And he goes off about this forever. Like, you know, in the modern day, they want results. Well, you don't get results until you're wrong 99% of the time. Mm. 
And I love that. Like the focus on failure is so gigantic. Like you need to do that because yeah. that's when you get tested. That's when you realize like, knowing if that something is the wrong way to do something is, is gigantic value, you know, and, I, and people are just not willing to go down that route, which is unfortunate. I think that's a sign of um, insecurity that you are more focused on what people are going to think about you. Oh, yeah. And therefore, that keeps you from having certain thoughts or following through on certain things that might be difficult to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah. If you put the problem first, this isn't that big of a deal. Right. Right. Like that's the, the, the what everyone thinks becomes the impediment to everything. Right. As opposed to, I'm just really interested in solving this problem. I don't care if you think I'm an idiot for solving it. Right. I really just really want to solve this problem. Right. Yep. Exactly. I had that today in a GitHub issue where someone asked about one of the data access tools I have. And they said, they logged an issue and they said, you know, why doesn't your tool create the database? <laughs> and I said, I, 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 I was so crazy. I was like, do, do you, could you come up with a couple of reasons as to why, you know, like mm. maybe, uh, because, you know, you don't want to give rights to your data access tool to actually administer your database. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like they came back at me, you know, f like fighting about this. And I said, I've, I've failed at this <laughs> before, you know, mm -hmm. I've failed at this a lot. I mean, you might want to take my opinion on it. I mean, it's not like I'm making this up. Like you really right. don't want to do this. And that's one of those things where I think about, you know, people are afraid to fail, but then they're not afraid to fail, uh, for the right reasons, if that makes sense. Right. So in other words, this person is probably not afraid to fail by trying and doing certain things. But the one thing you can't fail at <laughs> is a security hole, you know, in your database that could compromise the entire application. Sure. Like, you know, you should be afraid of that. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense, but yeah. Now, I get it. And, and you get into that sort of painful conversation with someone where it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to walk you through how I got here. Like, these mm -hmm. are the issues. Or you go the, you know, Linus Torvald's route and you're just angry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, we well, do it this way because if we do it the other way, we'd be idiots. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that one, don't you? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, I, and I sort of like, I don't agree with Linus's behavior, but I get how he got there. Like, mm -hmm. this is a guy who's been on the forefront of dealing with a lot of dumb questions for a long time. Mm hmm. Yeah. And there's such a thing as being too nice to people because they don't respect you. Right. It's just the truth of human nature, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and to his credit, he could have just turned off and he didn't. Mm. Yeah. You know, the one thing no, you won't no. get from Linus most of the time is no response at all. True. True. It's just be prepared because the likelihood that you're going to be happy with the response is low. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. But, you know, we think about other really extraordinary developers in our space. I'm, I, I'm in awe of Anders Halsberg's kindness. Mm. Oh, yeah. Just in a guy yeah. who's who's so smart and works so hard on these problems for so long. He doesn't, you know, he usually lets you know in a, in a kind way, I have thought about this problem a lot longer than you have. Right. But uh, it, it, but he's always got the bandwidth. And always very nice, too. Yeah, yeah very and, nice. You know, you can't say that for for uh for everybody that's in that space and sure. i'm thinking of yep. a couple of people right now who are the opposite of that mm -hmm. yeah i was laughing about this with uh christian heilman in uh at ordev this i guess it was last month we were talking about john skeet and john <laughs> is unfailingly polite and kind one of the sweetest people i know 
mm-hmm. and a dynamo just and never yeah. stops. If he's in your talk though, you better you better pray you don't say something wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> Ask him how is, he knows. <laughs> yeah. Well this this is the funny thing about Skeet though, is uh, he will speak up and he will interrupt your presentation, which a lot of people would just downright consider rude, but he does it so kindly. Right. Yes. He's like so sweet. But he's right. more concerned about the people in the room hearing you say something wrong, which yeah. and then you know, he's interrupted me twice now. And which is great. And I say, okay, John, <laughs> what did I say wrong? And he's like, well, actually, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to do my skeet voice, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people like that are a rare treasure. Yeah. It's an honor to be corrected by John Skeet. Right. I know. He cares enough exactly. to actually set the record straight. And that's great. Exactly. Right. It's really, really interesting. Yep. I, and I wonder if a guy like that suffers from imposter syndrome when he's literally the definition, you know, or, or at Anders Halsberg. I mean, the guys who actually have PhDs in computing science have significantly contributed to the field and then went off into their careers to continue to contribute to the field. Like, maybe none of us are immune. I, 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 don't, I know plenty of comm side degree folks who still think, feel like I'm faking this. You know, it's interesting. I've had John say to me any number of times, um, you know, doing a video or doing a talk or something together, I would say, okay, why don't you build an API for talking to blah? And he's like, oh, I, you know, I only dabble with C sharp. I don't actually build things. Uh, and he he's <laughs> he just kind of looked at me like, don't ask me to build something. And I said, you're out of your mind. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And he's like, I mean, I can build things. I I just don't do it with C sharp. And and he just kind of freezes up. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> you would probably build one of the best applications out there. I mean, he knows how to do it. I've seen him do it. And he puts yes. together amazing stuff. I can't imagine that guy writing an actual app like it would just be gold. <laughs> I don't know. Well, he's you know, he's working on Nota time. Yes. And they and they the HT box guys are dealing with we're dealing with a time problem and got led to Nota time. And by the way, John kind enough to give him direct support as necessary. Oh, that's and great. The, and you came out the other side of it just aware of this time and dates are a harder problem than you realize. Okay. And he yeah. has thought about it more than all of us combined. That's and right. You should do what the library wants you to do. I, that is I got stuck in that. I remember Richard on the mm-hmm. uh, admin app, we were trying to, to deal with JavaScript dates and times across time zones and things. And, and I gave up and, you know, I don't consider myself a stupid guy. But uh, I just I just threw in the towel at some point and said, okay, we're not using calendars and we're not representing with you know date uh, um, data types. We're going to just construct date and dates and times from drop down boxes. Yeah, or not times, but dates. You know, yeah, it's just got to be too aggravating. This is not worth fighting over. Yeah. So, but I didn't use no to time, and I could have, I bet. Yeah, well, for us, this is an already project, again, totally multinational, and yep. time zones absolutely matter. You want to make sure that your volunteers are showing up when they need to show up. Yeah. Right? You cannot be an hour out. Right. And there are catastrophic problems with time zones. Like, you no idea. Hmm. If you're standing in the city of Jerusalem, you can be in a different time, depending on whether you're Israeli or Palestinian. Uh, wow. Yeah, I was just about to say, one of the... 
God, this is just the way my mind works right now. I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if we could consider a time problem to be NP complete. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I might go ahead and claim that, that that solving time zones is NP complete. I don't know. Mm. I might claim that. All you got to do is stick daylight savings time on top of it, too. Oh, sure. You've brought up NP completeness a couple of times, and yeah. we really haven't defined what it is. Can you? I mean, and <laughs> the part of the joke was we can't define it, but. Tell us what oh, this, you? tell us what you're talking about here. Oh dear! Oh, my cat just came to join us. Hold on, nice. get him off the table. <laughs> he literally stuck his nose right up to the microphone. That was funny. Um, okay. Uh, wow. Let's see you if don't I can have do this. to go into depth, but no, you kind. Of, okay, here's it's the, for here's describing the deal. decision problems, right? It it is. It has to do with complexity. How 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 can we solve this? So, if something is easily solved, like accessing a database, you'd say, "Well, it's doable in polynomial time." That just means it'll take me twice as long, ten times as long, hundred times as long. That is a polynomial equation. Yeah. Whereas if you have something that's really complex, like a decision set, right? Uh, that that can be exponentially complete. You'd solve that in exponential time. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you define that? Well, if the inputs go up and a change happens and you have an exponential explosion in complexity, uh, that is simply exponential time uh, a problem. Like I talked earlier about combinatorial optimization, and you can you can visualize that as trying to pack up your house as if you're going to move it, right? Mm. And I said, well, I need you to pack the house with the optimal number of bins. It needs to be optimal because we're trying to fit in the optimal storage at this new location, right? So I need you to make sure it's optimal. How in the world would you do that? Hmm. And and that's exponentially complex. So that's and so straddling the line between polynomial complex problems and exponentially complex problems is this little field called uh, NP, which is non-deterministic, deterministic. And all that means is. If Carl, someone made you a super super head person, and like you could stare at something and go, "I know the answer. I'm going to pack it this way." That's called non-deterministic decision process. In other words, it just came to you. It's kind of random. Hmm. If you had a deterministic process, you would have written down on a spreadsheet and said, if I do this, 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 and you could trace from beginning to end how you came up with that plan, that would be deterministic. So you might say NP is we don't know what we don't know? Uh, no, that's not exactly accurate. You can say, you you just know that these problems would be exponentially complete unless you had the magical ability to come up with a non-deterministic oh, solution. I see. If you could do that, then those problems that are really hard become simple. They become P problems. So what's NP complete? Uh, NP complete is basically a decision problem. And so if you think of it like a Boolean, really long if and, or if X, then Y, or if X and Y, and if X not Y, it's yeah, yeah. big, long if you you could look at that and say what values for x and y would make this entire chain return true then that would be that then that's a decision problem that you would have solved in polynomial time and that would be np complete okay so anything that's a decision problem that you can look at if you can graph out a problem say if i do this then that if i do this then that it turns out that every program we write just about is np complete because mm-hmm. it follows this decision process that and if we change one or two things and change a couple inputs on that, then it's going to exponentially explode. But you are, so you that, are talking about cost assessment as well, right? Like your yeah. scenario about wants you to optimize to fit into storage. This is the traveling salesman problem. And typically, That's exactly right. the compute cost is too high. 
Yeah. Right? You and and the yield too low, right? The Pareto's law applies at the twenty yep. percent compute. You've got an eighty percent solution. Yeah, well, that's actually what Jeff's post was about. It was about these approximations uh, yeah. to these uh, algorithms where you don't need to actually solve it completely and entirely for every case. You just need to solve it for some some like eighty twenty cases. And so for yeah. that, there are approximations out there. Yeah, and they're sufficient. Right, like yeah, it, it's really exactly. interesting to speak because we we did try and we we want computing to be so deterministic, and when you sort of realize that it's like it really isn't that deterministic because computing is not an infinite resource and not mm-hmm. and we don't have an infinite amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, approximation is appropriate and normal, actually. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's you know. Uh, um, I gave a presentation at a Copenhagen user group and I had one of the people there asked me, he said, I'm trying to do this matching algorithm and where both sides have this criteria and I want to make sure they match. And in my head, I just saw this graph and decision problem explode. Yeah. And I said, well, what happens if you have three people that need to be matched? And his eyes crossed and like, this is an exponentially difficult problem. Yes. And more than that, it's not a decision problem because you're using optimization um, and that's, that's a key word. And if you're using optimization, the problem goes from NP complete to NP hard. Uh, the difference, there's a difference there. I won't go into it. It's, it's that optimization could take forever, literally forever, longer yep. than we have time, you know? Mm. And when I say that, I don't mean solving one problem. I mean, scaling it for every possible solution sure. could, and that's where things go upside down. And so one of the interesting things is to be able to think about what you're writing in these terms is really critical. Like you were saying, Richard, if you can apply approximations to something you're doing and you can make sure your boss knows, hey, this is an approximation. It's going to be right this amount of time. They'll be happy and you'll have solved a problem. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm. Well, it's easy for people to speak uncertainty when they don't understand the scope of problem too. So, yeah. if, you know, when I ask my boss how accurate can, does it need to be, they're always going to say absolutely accurate. And it's like, yeah. if I can get to 80% in three hours and 90% mm-hmm. in two weeks, which is mm-hmm. more acceptable? Exactly. Exactly. Like, hmm, I think the three-hour solution is pretty good. I'm like, yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> and, and you move along. Rob, one more message for the would-be imposters among us or the, the imposter imposters. Oh, you know, it's always the same that I try and tell people who are learning. You know, it's... As you're learning, you think, aha, this is the way it is. And, and you want to tell everybody, and that's great. Share what you've, share what you've learned, which is great. Make sure you position it that way. I'm still learning. Everyone's always still learning. The problems come in when you, when you stand behind that opinion and say, this is the way it is. And that causes everybody problems. And, you know, I have, I have a, a comment that's right front and center in the beginning of the book, which is a reply to Jeff's post. It's great. I think about this comment all the time. This person says, and I, you have to stop doing this because, and he's talking to Jeff, but you have to know if you're going to say this is the way something is, you have to know, you have to research. So I always say like, you know, it's always a journey. Make sure you know it's a journey. And when you're talking to other developers, just, you know, enjoy each other's journey and, and leave it at that. Yeah, that's good. Good advice, my friend. Yes, absolutely. Hey, thank you. Hey, where are you going to be next? Are you going to be at uh, NDC London? I'm going to be at NDC London in January. Then I'm going to go to NDC Copenhagen in February and then NDC Oslo in June. It's all NDC for me. All right. Well, we'll see you there. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be fun. And we'll see you next time 
on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.